0: Welcome to the Bread of Life, I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. A good part of my week is spent interacting with pastors and leaders from around the world as they're implementing the training that we've offered them in following God's Spirit in dialogues with the unsaved people of their communities in order to help these individuals understand God's way of saving them from sin and judgment and bringing them into a rightness with God that answers the deepest needs of their hearts. These leaders regularly report on how God is building up their ministry as a result of what we've taught them and helped them to implement. There's a great work of God going on around the world. I'd invite you to learn more about how God is using us by going to traincpe.org. That's traincpe.org. And to discover more about our radio ministry and our fellowship in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18-32, through 32, we have a picture of where sin is leading the person and society that shuts God out. The secularist has long denied the reality of sin, but they can't deny the negative behaviors that bring injury to persons and communities. And these injuries will continue until we come to terms with the sin that causes them. Only then will individuals be willing to respond and receive God's answer for our sins found in Jesus Christ we're going to consider the impact that sin makes as it sweeps into the society and has its way with us and as it sweeps upon the life of the individual and takes that individual where it is that sin wants to go and where it is that sin wants to lead us the important question we're going to attempt to answer here is where is sin taking us where is sin taking you where would sin take the world you live in and it's not the only question we're asked but that's the primary one. You know there are a lot of secular thinkers in our day and age that want to dismiss this notion of sin altogether. They want to dismiss it but they also are witnessing the reality of the disruptions that are taking place in our community. They recognize that people have consciences. They recognize that people feel shame and people feel guilt. They recognize that people even admittedly do counterproductive things that are Somehow not helpful to themselves and helpful to society. And so although they don't want to call these things sins, they have to come up with a term. So usually it's just a mistake in judgment. That's the primary thing. I've made a mistake in judgment. You ever seen some celebrity or some individual who's got drunk and, you know, beat up his wife or whatever it is, and then it's been caught on camera, and then he's got to go before everybody, and he says, well, that's really not me. I made a mistake in judgment. Well, I'd say it's something more than mistake in judgment. It's it's something rather awful. Call it just a mistaken judgment is a picture of desensitized we are to what's taking place here. But, well, leave the language as they would. Give them the language, mistaken judgment, whatever you want to call it. Why do humans make such mistakes in judgment? We'll put it this way. Why do humans sin? It's kind of an important question to ask. The answer that the secular man will give us is that it's the result of his animal tendencies getting the best of him. It's the residual influence of his evolution catching up with him. He hasn't entirely got rid of and shed all of the animal instincts within him. And periodically the vestiges of those animal instincts rise up within him and cloud his judgment and cause him to behave in ways that are destructive or not in his best interest and in the best interest of the social order. And so he sins because, you know, the ape in him has somehow got the best of him. And so that's one answer that's given to us. Another answer is that we have unmet needs in our lives that we seek to fulfill, and they're legitimate needs, but we are not wisely applying ourselves to fulfill those needs in appropriate ways. And so when we try to fulfill those needs in inappropriate ways, we trespass against the optimum behavior that's good for ourselves and good for others. Another theory might be that our environment has conditioned us it's not really in us, but it's the environment around us. It's the circumstances around us. It's a lack of a social framework to teach and instruct us. And so, because of an environment, we're conditioned to act in ways that are not always good. That's why we make these mistakes and judgment or we sin. And One of the things you'll notice about each one of these views is to them, they add certain solutions. They're almost predictable. If these are all true, then what we really need to do is we just need a better education. We do know how to manage these sins in a better way. We need to learn how to breathe a little slower and think things and process things first and and consider the outcomes and understand what our choices are and make better choices. And if we just learned the right and began to train ourselves in the right way of analyzing what's taking place and analyzing why we're coming to these conclusions and acting in this way and we can slow life down around us, well, we'll... We'll be able to navigate these things and we might not be able to cure them all together but at least we can manage these things in a better way or what we really need to do is be educated on how to create environmental changes in our lives and the lives of other people if we just kind of somehow manipulate and adjust the society around us so that we can create more equity or whatever it is we'll have less of these things taking place because this is just the influence and this is just The environment that we've created catching up with us. And we have to ask ourselves, by the way, if it's just environment, how it is that such innocent individuals could create such a lousy environment? But they don't usually ask that kind of question. And so we come to the Bible here. The Bible gives us a completely different view of sin altogether. The Bible gives us an understanding of sin that is... Entirely different than this idea that it's just simply something that's rising within me from some decaying past or past that I'm rising out of. Or, and it's not simply just me not knowing how to make good choices or understanding how to get what I need and what I want in a productive way. And, it, and it's not simply me just expressing the poor environmental experiences that I've had and how I've been conditioned in the past. Well, the Bible gives us a different view than that of where sin's starting point is. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 12 for a second. Martin Lloyd-Jones takes us to this passage, and he uses this passage as a starting point for us in being able to grasp the nature of sin. Here, Paul writes to the Holy Spirit, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all have sinned. This is actually one of the more controversial passages in Scripture, and there are a lot of different understandings and views of what is exactly meant here, and commentators will dig deeply into it, and we'll have to go and dig into some of the specifics of this passage later on, but we're only in Romans chapter 1 right now, so you'll have to wait a while. But what we see here is that Paul is obviously talking about how it is that sin made its way into the human race, and how that sin spread through the sin of Adam to all of us, Back way back in the Garden of Eden. How did sin come and it was brought into reality? What Lloyd-Jones wants us to do to help us understand this, he, he wants us to see one word here. It's the word I want to point you to as well. It's the word entered. It says sin entered. And this entrance may be seen because it wasn't welcomed. It, wasn't something, it, was, it was seen something as an invasion. Because of what it produced, what it brought about, it, we might see it as sin invaded the world of humanity when Adam sinned. And here's the point. Sin is something more than the vestiges of an evolving human nature. It's not something that's just percolating from some distant past. It's a principle that existed outside of human existence and that came and entered into the human world. Sin is almost, in this passage in which Paul is speaking here, sin is almost personified by Paul. Think of it as a potent force or an evil power, or an invading presence. And if you do, you may begin to understand what the scripture is teaching us and what Paul is reasoning before us in understanding sin. Sin is this force, this invading principle, because it's, it was introduced by the power of Satan himself. And as such, the principle that's constantly pressed upon us as we enter into sin that's somehow cooperating and energizing the sinful acts that we conduct is, is Satan himself. James actually tells us that jealousy and selfish ambition, he says, are earthly and unspiritual. Oh, we might say that. Well, that's just earthly behavior. Unspiritual, I could see that's unspiritual behavior. And he says, demonic. Jealousy and selfish ambition is demonic. Some impulse or power behind it. It's driving it and sending it forward. It's produced by Satan himself. It's invaded our lives and it's come upon our lives. You see here in the Bible, sin is something more than a part of a faulty process in man's evolution. Something more than just a failure for proper social development. I'm going to give you a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's rather extensive. I want you to listen to it. Jones says this, Sin is something which is outside of man. Something which can exist and which did exist apart from man. It is something which has entered human nature from without. Just a moment here, I'll stop the quote. When you think of it that way, though sin is woven into our nature and it's made itself a part of our lives, it's not simply a natural force. When we confront sin, we're addressing something more than our own impulses and even the impulse of our own fleshiness, which is saying a lot because my fleshiness is pretty potent, it's pretty powerful, but it's even more than that. It's more than just fleshy impulses. When we confront sin and we deal with sin in our life, we're contending with a force or a principle that is expressed not only by the power of our flesh, but is driven by the power of hell itself. These impulses are something that are put forward and have the force of the evil one behind them. Let's go back to this quote here. Sin is something which is outside of man, something which can exist and did exist apart from man. It is something which has entered human nature from without we are aware of a power other than ourselves acting upon us and influencing us. It is not only a power or principle that is independent of men but it is a mighty power, a terrible power. It has fiendish quality and malignity which is truly terrifying. Furthermore, it is a power that is entered into the life of man and which affects us profoundly and actively It does not belong to the order of vestigal remains. That means it's not a part of our evolving animal natures. It does not merely affect one part of man and his nature. It is so deep-seated and so much a part of us that the entire man is affected, the intellect, the desires, and therefore the will. Indeed, it constitutes such a terrible problem that God alone in Christ can deal with it. That's how powerful sin is. It's not answered by finding ways to assist us in the natural process of managing our instincts. It's not answered by providing some way to educate us and provide us with an educated response. All we'll get with all that education is just more educated sinners. It's not a matter of just learning impulse control. And it's not a matter of simply intellectually analyzing it and finding the answers by building a social strategy for it. No. Sin is a power greater than the power of one individual and it's a power greater than the kind power of all society, the whole of society. Sin is a force that is so great and yet so intertwined in our lives, in the life, in the society of human beings that it can only be addressed by the greatest power of all, by the power of God. It can only be overcome when we yield to a Savior who has come and is greater than the force of sin itself. A Savior who can confront sin and can even take all sin upon himself and extinguish it and deliver us from it. And that's what our Savior Jesus Christ has done. For too long we've thought that we just need a better education. We just need to give people some therapeutic direction to overcome their sin and this will be the final answer for them where we've thought if we just change the environment, we've even had the idea now that sin is really the result of all the classes in the world. If we can just create some strategy, some utopian experiment where we're all in one class and we create this unanimity of all people that everything will be better and all you'll do is take sin out of the classes and you'll just let sin express itself throughout the masses. we we'll not change anything. Don't we'll deal with the issue. Sin can't be stopped, you say, by this education. It can't be stopped by mere social constructions. It's too powerful. It will not stop its damaging flow apart from us yielding to finding a power mightier than itself. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership, evangelism, and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are at work to take this gospel to the ends of the earth, and we need your prayers and your support. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.